electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed, the Wild West is alive and well in North Dakota. When an oil boom hits the state, a few bad men descend on the bad lands. It was a modern-day gold rush out there. With that comes a lot of uh, people with checkered pass. James Hendrickson is the baddest of them all. He lived his life like Caligula. I mean, he just wanted to lay waste to everything and everyone. In his drive to make a killing, Hendrickson will do anything to eliminate the competition. Basically, anyone that ever crossed James or that he thought could sink him, he wanted to have killed. There's been shot. A man just taken our house and shot my husband. He certainly gets an A for effort in terms of being a serial murderer. But when this arrogant mastermind hires a sloppy hitman, his budding empire comes crashing down. We always say you can't make this stuff up. I was like, you sons of bitches, man. Who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are to come up to North Dakota and to, and to rip people off like you have and then to just kill people? Who, who does that shit? Deep within the American heartland, North Dakota is home to wide open spaces, rugged landscapes, and few people. Despite being population poor, the state is rich in natural resources. In 2006, North Dakota is the site of a modern economic boom, when a layer of oil-saturated shale is tapped in the Bakken, a rock formation beneath the western half of the state. Hydraulic fracking unleashes millions of barrels of black gold. It was like Deadwood. It was crazy. It was a gold rush, basically. And the oil business was booming. There was a lot of money to be made. To corral that much oil, manpower is desperately needed. Over the next several years, more than 100,000 men descend on the patch. Everywhere you looked, it was trucks. It was truck traffic from bumper to bumper. Business was charging $1,800 a month. San Francisco rents in uh, North Dakota based on how many people were looking for jobs. In October 2011, 28-year-old Christopher K.C. Clark is one of those men. A former motorbike racer, Clark moves to North Dakota at the request of an old friend, James Hendrickson. Hendrickson has recently started a promising oil-related business, Blackstone Trucking, and wants Clark to be his operations manager. Casey and James raced motorcycles uh, together in Washington State, so he'd known Casey for quite a while. Just 32 years old, James Hendrickson appears to be a promising young go-getter. In addition to owning a trucking business, he possesses an imposing physique and a sparkling white smile. By his side is his beautiful young wife, Sarah Kreveling. The locals call the couple Ken and Barbie. 
you know, people laughed. You know, it's North Dakota. It's it's almost all male. It's rugged. And then you have this blonde and, you know, this uh, this handsome guy. They just looked out of place, you know. And when you hear about, like, the, the Wild West, you were thinking, what is Sarah doing here? She's the only blonde chick in, like, 500 miles. Rick Airy lives next door to Clark and the Henriksons in an RV park in the bustling community of Newtown. A few weeks after their arrival, his new neighbors offer him a job. Casey approached me and he said, Rick, um, you want a truck pushing job? I said, dude, I don't know the first thing about pushing trucks. He said, uh, I'll pay you $1,500 a week salary. And I was like, deal. Ari works as Blackstone's truck dispatcher. In the desolate and lonely oil fields, Rick and KC quickly develop a strong friendship. We'd, we'd BS, we'd talk, and he had a good heart. And, and him and I just hit it off like, we, like we'd grown up the same way, you know? So just kindred souls and fast friends. Blackstone's main business is running water tankers to and from the oil fields. Fracking requires fresh water to help break up the oil-rich shale. We'd have 75 to 100 trucks out there. We'd have multiple jobs going because not only were we filling frack tanks around the clock, we had wells that were already producing that had dedicated runs where we'd have to go pull the water off them. The money is good, but the men work long hours. Oh, gosh. 24-7, man. It, it was ridiculous. So, I mean, it was one of them jobs where you got a shower maybe once a week. You know, I was living on Red Bull in Copenhagen. After an intense few months, Rick and KC are burning out. In early 2012, the men make plans to leave Blackstone and help a mutual friend start a new trucking business. I was like, dude, look at what James is doing. I was like, we could do this for ourselves and, and we could pay the truck drivers, run a legit show, and, and we can make our own money. Rick and KC conspire to poach some Blackstone clients and take them to their new gig. But KC tells his friend it's crucial they keep their plans secret. He was like, man, we gotta keep it quiet. We, James cannot find out. James cannot find out. In February 2012, shortly before his planned covert departure from Blackstone, KC Clark is scheduled to take a two-week vacation. James Henriksen had told Casey Clark, you're just working too hard. You need a break. Go on vacation. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
But before KC can leave, James Hendrickson has one request. He wants Clark to stop by the office and drop off his company credit card. They claim that how are we going to buy fuel and pay for things when you're on a two-week vacation? We need that card. We need that card. On February 22, 2012, Casey Clark heads to the Blackstone trucking office. Assistant U.S. Attorney Ani Ahmed. Early morning, I think on a Tuesday morning sometime. And there were truckers walking around, approximately 20 to 25 truckers in the yard at that time. Several people saw Casey come to the uh, building, and several employees saw him. But where Casey goes next is unknown. Several hours after Clark's visit to Blackstone, Rick Airy is unable to locate his friend. So I started texting him. I started calling him. The same thing. I'm not getting any return, nothing. No reply. It's going to voicemail. That afternoon, Airy drives out to the Blackstone shop. He's confronted by James Hendrickson. James looks right at me and he says, are you quitting too? And, and I didn't, he's not supposed to know at this point. This is supposed to be a big old secret. I'm like, no, man, I ain't quitting. He's like, huh, okay, well, there's just rumors going around you guys are quitting, you and Casey are quitting. Rick asks James if he knows where Casey is. Hendrickson tells Rick that Casey has a history of skipping town unexpectedly. Yeah, that son of a bitch, he always up and disappears like this. He owed a bunch of people in Washington a bunch of money, and he, he hauled ass one other time. I've been trying to call and text him all day, too. But in the following weeks, Rick realizes that something's not right. Casey's clothes and personal items are still at his house. He doesn't answer his phone, and his family hasn't seen or heard from him. At this point, we know he's missing. Like, he's, he's not making his payments. He's not using his cell phone. He's not... He's not pulling a dime out of his checking account. Rick Airy and others create posters and spread the word through social media. So we just go on the offensive. We start blowing it up. We're getting some, we're getting it out there. Many of the wells and oil-related businesses in North Dakota are on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, including Blackstone. Word of Casey's disappearance quickly spreads through the native communities. One of my my clan sisters contacted me and she said, hey, sister, did you hear about this missing boy from the oil fields? Lissa Yellowbird Chase is a tribal attorney for MHA Nation, a union of the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara tribes. Since Casey Clark was last seen on native lands, she takes it upon herself to do some investigating, starting with the Blackstone shop parked out in the parking lot and started talking to truckers and saying, are you aware that this happened? And only one out of maybe 10 even heard about it. Rick Airy says it's no surprise Blackstone employees are kept in the dark. Rick is convinced that James Hendrickson knows more than he's letting on. I knew he had something. If he didn't have something to do with it, he knew something. He had to have known something. In the first few months after Casey's disappearance, the case isn't a priority for law enforcement either. Workers constantly come and go from the oil fields. But in June 2012, a clue emerges that puts the case on the cops' radar. Casey Clark's abandoned pickup truck is discovered in Williston, nearly 80 miles away from where he was last seen. 
I'm devastated at this point. I mean, it just sucked the air out of the room. I couldn't breathe. My heart's in my chest. I'm like, you gotta be me. By all appearances, James Hendrickson is an up-and-coming player in the North Dakota oil fields. In 2012, his trucking company is booming. He buys a Bentley and a brand new house in Watford City. But after the disappearance of Casey Clark, Rick Airy discovers that Hendrickson isn't exactly a model citizen. He soon discovers that Hendrickson is just as dirty as the black gold they pulled from the ground. We actually got a copy of his criminal record. And, and that was like all I needed, assault, burglary, manufacturing drugs. I mean, you just go on and on and on and on and on. Over the past 10 years, Hendrickson has been arrested multiple times in his home state of Oregon. Detective Brian Sesnick. He'd done time in jail, never a long stint, um, from what I could tell. He, he's a con man. In 2011, Steve Kelly has the unfortunate distinction of being Hendrickson's first business partner in North Dakota. Kelly is a member of MHA Nation and the owner of Trustland Oilfield Services. I got a call in July of 2011, and he said he had trucks down in Texas, and he wanted to, he wanted to know if I was looking for trucks. At the time, Kelly's business is booming but he needs more tankers to keep up with demand. And I asked him, I said, how did you, how'd you get my name? He said, well, I looked you up on that, uh, that tarot list. Tarot is the Tribal Employment Rights Office, which gives Native Americans preference to business activities on the reservation. Uh, the tarot office has all the Indian contractors listed there. And at the time, I suppose there was probably 60 of us, 50 of us. And so he would just, just went on down the list till he got to Trustland and called me. Kelly agrees to bring on Henriksen as a subcontractor. He says James is initially a good worker. Henriksen quickly builds up his fleet and expands his operations. His team eventually includes Casey Clark and Rick Airy. He had, uh, to my knowledge, no industry knowledge in trucking. FBI Special Agent Eric Barker. He went up there and just started doing it. He, he was a good salesman, even better con man. But in December of 2011, Kelly says their relationship sours. Kelly's company puts in a $500,000 bid on a new oil well run by Petro Hunt, a firm with which he's well-established. To his surprise, Kelly discovers that James Hendrickson and Blackstone have already won the job. Well, I called up Terrell and I said, uh, they can't have the job, I have preference. You know, what gives? They said, no, no, they're, they're, they're a registered native company now too. Kelly says Hendrickson recruits a Navajo woman from Texas to register his company and get Blackstone native status. Kelly complains to Terrell and gets Hendrickson pulled from the job. Shortly after the incident, Kelly says shocking graffiti appears at petrol hunt job sites around the oil fields. All kinds of rotten things about me spray painted on their petrol hunt vehicles. Seriously, this bugs the hell out of me. Steve Kelly raped my wife. So I was just almost physically sick. It was terrible. Although he can't prove Hendrickson is behind the graffiti, 
Kelly stops subcontracting with the young hustler. But by then, Hendrickson isn't hurting for work. If you want to do business on a reservation, there's no better place to start than at the top. As 2012 rolls around, James Hendrickson makes a powerful new friend, Tex Hall, who is, at the time, tribal chairman of MHA Nation. He went to our chairman to basically take advantage of his political position. In addition to being tribal chairman, Tex Hall also owns a private oil company. Hall makes Hendrickson one of his subcontractors. James was being allowed to drive trucks on their land. Um, back there, you were supposed to be a tribal member to get those kind of things, but James had managed to work his way in. The arrangement angers many in the native community. Tribal members could be doing this stuff and you'd be doing just as well. So in other words, Tex could have subcontracted with me, you know, or any other tribal member and done just as well, probably better. Hendrickson moves the Blackstone offices to Tex Hall's property outside of Mandaree. Just a few months later, in February, it's this shop where Casey Clark is last seen. Assistant U.S. Attorney Ani Ahmed. Tex indicated that he did not know Casey Clark. For Tex Hall, Casey Clark was just one of many people who worked directly or indirectly for him. James Hendrickson isn't troubled by Clark's disappearance either because he's too busy making money. While partnered with Tex Hall, Hendrickson lands a lucrative deal with MHA Nation to water dirt roads and keep dust down on the reservation. Hendrickson bills the tribe $580,000 for the work. Oh, it's a huge questionable deal. He come to me and he said, uh, whatever the job is, he's like, I'm gonna add a bunch of hours to it so that that money is going right here. He patted them hours for damn sure. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. By the end of 2012, Tex Hall learns the cost of doing business with James Hendrickson. Over the past year, prosecutors say Hendrickson has been skimming money from his deals with Hall. Using shell companies registered in Sarah Kreveling's name, Hendrickson diverts hundreds of thousands of dollars into his own pockets. He would create these dummy companies that he actually owned, and he would basically bill to these dummy companies 
indicate that they were charging him for trucking services. Hall ultimately cuts ties with Hendrickson, but it's later discovered that their split isn't just about money. Hendrickson's been having an affair with Peyton Martin, the daughter of Hall's longtime girlfriend. James Hendrickson had uh, impregnated his 18-year-old stepdaughter. Since arriving in the patch, James Hendrickson has been working on the periphery of the oil business, in trucking. After his split with Tex Hall, he's now ready to make the big bucks, drilling oil himself. In early 2013, he hooks up with Doug Carlisle, a construction contractor based in Spokane, Washington. They got into the oil drilling venture together because they had heard that there was a piece of property, approximately 640 acres total, uh, up for lease. The land had not been drilled, but all around it were big companies, and they were getting a lot of money in oil. Neighboring wells are reported to be making over $250,000 in profits each day. The land could be worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. All they have to do is come up with $2 million to secure the oil rights. Mr. Carlisle and Mr. Hendrickson solicited investors, and it was Mr. Carlisle doing most of the footwork in that, and were able to get approximately five or six investors. The men initially raised $1.6 million, including 640000 that James and Sarah kick in themselves. But they have trouble raising the final $400,000, not to mention the additional funds needed to get the venture off the ground. What they didn't realize is it was going to cost tens and tens of millions of dollars to actually start drilling the oil. You have to build the roads, you have to build the platforms, and, and you need uh, a lot of money. I, I believe about $8 million per well is what it costs. Late in 2013, Doug Carlisle believes he's found a financial savior in a big-money Saudi Arabian investor. They believe that this Saudi Arabian uh, oil tycoon was going to invest in them, give them the money to build all the wells. Well, it turned out he's a con man. Before they can do business, the Saudi investor asks for collateral to help establish their relationship. So he asked for approximately $80,000 from Mr. Carlisle, which Mr. Carlisle did supply. They ended up giving him a large sum of money that he walked away with. Hendrickson is furious with Carlisle. Their chance at a fortune is slowly slipping away. The oil drilling just wasn't getting started, and the timing of the lease was limited. The men's relationship deteriorates. He had actually tried to buy Doug out of his, his uh, percentage of their business together, um, but Doug wasn't going to leave. You know, I think they all saw this pot of gold at the end, um, and so no one wanted to leave. Carlisle's wife says her husband is increasingly worried. Alberta Carlisle had noted that Mr. Carlisle would walk around the house, make sure all the windows were locked. She had noted that he had never done that in the past. It's Sunday night, December 15th, 2013, in Spokane, Washington. Just after 7 o'clock, Doug Carlisle and his wife, Alberta, return home after attending a church function. Spokane Police Department Detective Brian Sesnick. They drove home. They pulled in. Miss Carlisle went, unlocked the back door, went in the house, 
um, not thinking anything of it. Um, Mr. Carlisle followed her in, you know, within, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Mrs. Carlisle immediately heads upstairs. But before she can get to her bedroom, she hears her husband talking to someone downstairs in the kitchen. Um, and so she assumed maybe one of her kids had shown up at the house. Um, so she turned around and yelled, hey, Doug, who are you talking to? There's no response. Alberta Carlisle walks back downstairs. She's stunned when she sees a man pointing a gun at her husband. She's maybe 10 or 15 feet from the kitchen looking down the hallway. She saw a male wearing all black, covered head to toe. Alberta says her husband tries talking with the man in black. All I remember was I saw the tips of my husband's fingers coming forward and heard him say, you don't want to do that. Alberta turns to run upstairs. Multiple gunshots ring out in the kitchen. I thought, oh my god, he's going to kill me before I even get up the stairs, because I feared he'd come after me. Alberta frantically makes her way to the bedroom, hides in a closet, and calls 911. There's been shot. A man just taken our house and shot my husband, I think. If he hears me, he's going to shoot me. Fortunately for Alberta Carlisle, the killer never heads upstairs. No interest at all, never followed her. He was focused on Mr. Carlisle. Within minutes, emergency crews are on the scene, but it's too late. Doug Carlisle is dead. He's been shot seven times. Police say the murder scene doesn't add up. The house wasn't ransacked. Um, nothing was missing, nothing was stolen from him. Neighbors recall seeing a white van outside the house earlier in the evening. Behind the home, investigators find a footprint by a fence gate and a dirty yellow welder's glove. Ms. Carlisle had told us that the subject was wearing all black. This was a very bright welder's glove. In Carlisle's home office, detectives find piles of documents related to North Dakota oil fields. Alberta tells detectives that her husband warned her about his business partner, James Hendrickson. She and her husband had had a long talk about, you know, if anything happens, make sure the police know James is involved. Police immediately call Hendrickson, but discover that he's three states away. We pinged his phone. Um, we called him and confirmed that he was in North Dakota. They say Hendrickson isn't surprised by the news. Very calm, um, kind of played it off, like he owed a lot of people money, so there's a lot of people who, who could do this. Over the next several weeks, investigators find more clues. Surveillance footage from a nearby school appears to capture the suspect. Uh, we also got video from a camera system of a private residence where you can certainly see the van. In mid-January, a month after the murder, police get DNA results from the welder's glove. It matches Timothy Suko a career criminal and employee of a local asbestos removal company. Um, this is a guy who's been in and out of prison. He, he was truly a bad guy. The asbestos company uses plain white vans, just like the kind seen outside the Carlisle home on the night of the murder. Uh, we put um, some of our undercover detectives following him, and they watched him go to work. In the parking lot, there is a white van that looked 
uh, very similar to what we have on video. Police arrest Suko and get search warrants for his home and personal vehicles. They say Suko is hoarding an arsenal, rifles, grenades, tactical gear. While the murder weapon is never found, detectives ultimately find something better. In his truck, we found uh, a couple black balaclavas, we found binoculars, and probably most importantly, we found his note. The note appears to be a detailed checklist for committing murder. Well, at the, the very top of the list was the word glove with a question mark behind it, um, which right away we thought he, he must have realized he dropped his glove. Um, and then it went through, check the area, practice with handgun. You know, it, it was your perfect to-do list for the murder. And it was just sitting in his vehicle. While analyzing Suko's cell phone, detectives find another clue. As I was going through his phone, notice James N. N. D. in his contact list. And when we ran the number, sure enough, it was James Henriksen's phone number. One month after the murder of Doug Carlisle, police believe they have the killer when they arrest Timothy Suko. Some serious accusations you're making. Yeah. At this point, we're probably beyond accusations. Oh, you, you, are, you are under arrest. And okay. At first, they say he isn't cooperative. But as the evidence piles up against him, Suko starts to play ball. He's 50-some years old. He's looking at a first-degree murder rap. And so I think he was just trying to do what he could to not have to spend the rest of his life in prison. In exchange for a plea deal, Suko says he'll tell them about his business relationship with James Henriksen. Kind of hit us out of the blue where he said, you know, he's willing to talk not only about Mr. Carlisle's murder, but about another murder as well. And that was when we learned about uh, Casey Clark. Eric Barker. He ultimately cooperates and gives us the entire story from Casey Clark's disappearance um, onward through, through Doug Carlisle. He names all the players. Investigators learned that Hendrickson was told of Casey Clark's plan to leave Blackstone and poach his clients. Suko tells investigators, quote, he said that he uh, was kind of angry at uh, one of the guys that was working for him and asked me if I wanted to go to work, end quote. That loss of business would do considerable damage to Hendrickson's bottom line. Assistant U.S. Attorney Ani Ahmed if Casey Clark was able to lure a lot of his business away, he would go from making well over a quarter million dollars a month to making far less money. In February 2012, Suko hops a train and travels nearly 800 miles from Spokane, Washington to North Dakota. Suko says he is at the Blackstone shop when Casey Clark returns his credit card. At that point, Casey Clark enters the business and returns the credit card and he actually shook hands with Mr. Sukow. Uh, Mr. Henriksen introduced Mr. Sukow to Casey Clark. According to investigators, Henriksen says he has a motorcycle that he wants Casey to check out. Mr. Uh, Henriksen lured him into the garage area and then says, come look at this motorcycle here in the corner. When Clark turns around, investigators say Suko picks up a heavy steel handle from a nearby floor jack. And that's when he walked up behind him and began hitting him in the head with the handle from the floor jack. 
He continued to hit Casey in the head till his head went soft. With Casey Clark dying and bleeding on the floor, Suko says Hendrickson begins to panic. You got to remember, this is at the shop during a time where there's truckers all the way around this building. What Mr. Sukow does is he sees a garbage can in the corner and ties the garbage bag around Casey's head to stop the blood from pouring onto the concrete. Investigators say the men then put Casey Clark into an empty toilet box and load him onto the back of a pickup truck. But before they can dispose of Casey's body, they first need to get rid of his vehicle. So at that point, they take Casey Clark's truck and dump it in Williston. Parked the truck, left the keys in it. Um, Tim said that their hope was that someone would find it and steal it. The men then proceed to drive south toward the Badlands and the Theodore Roosevelt National Park. It was Mr. Henderson that directed where they would go uh, once they turned into the park. And it's a long, winding dirt road, and it's, it's a very remote area. Once they're deep in the Badlands, investigators say Suko carries the box down into a ravine. Mr. Uh, Suko walked it approximately 200 yards and buried him with Mr. Hendrickson there. Timothy Sukow dug a hole, um, probably about four feet deep. And he said when he was digging the hole, and James asked him, how much is this going to cost me? Suko knows that Hendrickson is carrying a gun. Despite the awkwardness of the situation, the men begin to haggle on the price for committing the murder. And uh, Mr. Sukow said, well, it's going to cost you $20,000. And Mr. Hendrickson actually gasped when Mr. Sukow said $20,000. He didn't even want to pay him $20,000. And uh, Tim said that the next thing he said to James was, if you're going to shoot me, don't shoot me in the back of the head. He finished digging the hole. They put the body in the hole, covered it up. And uh, before he left town, James paid him $20,000 in cash. For more than two years, James Hendrickson has run his North Dakota oil ventures like a wannabe crime boss. But when Timothy Suko is arrested in early 2014 for the hit on Doug Carlisle, James isn't looking so slick. Friend of Casey Clark, Rick Airy. I was like, oh boy, oh, this is gonna go somewhere. I was like, I, this is like, it's over now. On January 18th, authorities search Hendrickson's house and find a stash of firearms. That's all they need to put him in cuffs. He's a convicted felon. They found weapons, felon possession charge. We used that to, uh, to charge him and hold him until we could build the murder for hire case. During their investigation, the FBI discovers text messages connecting Hendrickson to the two murders but they also learned something equally disturbing. Hendrickson has a hit list for those who get on his bad side. We found evidence of approximately 12 people that he uh, actively recruited others to kill. They were negotiating prices with assaults versus killings, and it was like he was you know, going to the store to, to buy something. It was very nonchalant. Included on the hit list are Tex Hall, Rick Airy, and Steve Kelly. Investigators say Kelly was supposed to be the first victim. The first offer was to kill Steve Kelly, 
And it wasn't until the next morning that uh, Mr. Henderson changed his mind from the target being Steve Kelly to the target being Casey Clark. That's a weird, that's a weird feeling. It really was weird. And that was just, you know, a guardian angel looking out for me or something. Hendrickson even turns on his wife, Sarah Creveling. Sarah knew everything about what was going on. She was involved in the money laundering, the thefts. Um, you know, I believe that she knew about uh, the Casey Clark murder. Um, and he didn't want her testifying against him, so he tried to hire someone to kill her too. Investigators say James even makes getaway plans with Tex Hall's stepdaughter. He was looking to get uh, a passport for his son that he had with Peyton Martin, and he was looking to uh, go to Brazil. He certainly uh, gets an A for effort in terms of being a serial murderer. I mean, he got two. In order to be a serial murderer, you need to murder three or more, and he made a sincere effort to do that. Six people are convicted in the conspiracy. Sarah Creveling avoids murder charges and instead pleads guilty to mail fraud and money laundering. Timothy Suko pleads guilty to two counts of murder for hire charges. He receives a 30-year sentence. I think if you interviewed him today, he would tell you, I just did it for money, and I was greedy, and I was stupid. Ironically, Suko was never paid for Doug Carlisle's murder. In fact, uh, Mr. Suka was arrested the day before he was to be paid his $20,000. Alberta Carlisle tells American Greed that she has forgiven her husband's killer. Timothy Suko agrees to take law enforcement to the Badlands, where he recalls burying Casey Clark. But unfortunately, the body is never found. We've tried airplanes, we've tried metal detectors, backhoes, and we still can't find Casey's body. James Henriksen refuses to talk. And that's the one thing James Henriksen has on us. He knows where that body is, and he's not willing to give the family closure. In the courtroom, Henriksen rejects a plea deal and chooses to go on trial for the murders of Clark and Carlisle. He's convicted on 10 murder-for-hire counts, and is currently serving two life sentences at the Supermax prison in Florence, Colorado. To this day, friends of Casey Clark continue the search for his final resting place. At times, the task seems hopeless, yet they still persist for the sake of Casey's family. Who, who in their right mind can tell a mother that they're not gonna help her? Who can do that? How can you look at a mom in the face and say, hey, I should probably help, but I'm not gonna. I mean, <laughs> Lisa Yellowbird Chase and Rick Airy have crisscrossed the Badlands dozens of times and say they'll continue the search for as long as it takes. Anybody who doesn't give up is gonna get to their goal. You know what I mean? So when Casey's ready, he will help us reveal himself. And I know Casey's fine. I know that that body that ain't him, you know? And if, if we never find him, he's in, a, he's in a beautiful spot. Thanks for listening to the American Greed Podcast presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. People 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.